0: Hello and welcome to the Peter Mackay Motorsport Podcast. Thank you very much indeed for tuning into this episode. Now today we're going to go a little bit off-piste. still going to be a motorsport related episode as always but today we're going to have a little look into a relevant topic at the moment which involves um, the global financial industry, one of Britain's most famous Um, prestige uh, luxury brands and what that means for the future of a couple of different categories in motorsport. For those who haven't seen of course we are talking about Aston Martin Lagonda who have gone through uh, you could say an up and down time in the last couple of of years, so what I wanted to do in this episode was talk a little bit about um the current the current happenings with Aston Martin and where they stand in terms of global motorsport because there's been a lot of change in the last couple of months um, based on a few um external uh, factors uh, as as well. So recently I wrote an article for um for my website petermckaymotorsport.com into um Aston Martin and their their history and also where how they've got to the point where they are now financially with um the the consortium led by Lauren Stroll coming in to invest uh, in the business and wanted to shed a bit of light because in the in the kind of general motorsport press there's been some there's been some quite interesting stories uh, about what that means so i wanted to to put in my opinion and also establish some facts as well so for those that weren't aware, Aston Martin um, was placed onto the public stock exchange in October 2018 via something called an IPO, where um, public investors can invest into uh, a business. Now, at that point, um, Aston Martin offered the shares at 17 pounds each. And at that point, roughly, um, roughly confirmed the company to be worth about £4 billion at that point. As of today, it's a quite a different situation. Today, on February the 21st, the shares are sitting at £4.01. So quite a difference. On the 30th of January, the day before the announcement was made that Lawrence Stroll and his consortium would invest 182 million pounds into Aston Martin, the share price sat at £4.02. On January 31st, when the announcement was made that Lawrence Stroll would be coming in and saving the day, the share price shot up to £4.98, but hardly where it was at, at the beginning. But we've seen today, for the very first time, the share price drop even lower still than before the, the, the Stroh consortium. Now, Aston Martin, uh, in, in early January, uh, issued uh, a profits warning to, say, to warn investors that their earnings would not be as they expected ahead of their complete financial results for 2019 coming out on the 27th of February. So just about a week's time, we're going to know. What sort of position they're in? But when the announcement was made, um, all of the senior management and the senior directors of Aston Martin stated that there was extreme pressure on the liquidity of the business, so they were running short of of cash flow, uh, and also um, the very high leverage on the business. So uh, just back in October twenty nineteen, the business had to, or sorry, September twenty nineteen, the business borrowed one hundred and twenty million pounds at an interest rate of twelve percent which was obviously causing quite uh, a problem. Now, when you compare this to rival Ferrari who in 2015 offered shares um, in Ferrari to the public between 48 and 52 American dollars a share. That was back in 2015. Today those shares sit at about 177 dollars per share. So they've had quite a different experience in uh, in in the stock working in in the stock market so the one thing about being a publicly limited public limited company is that your share price can go up and down depending on the demand for your stock and the very clever people working in the financial industry um can either you know earn money from the stock value going up and also earn money from the stock value going down. Now, when they earn money from the stock value going down is when they bet on that happening. It's called a short sell, or you might hear the term shorting a stock. Um, that's certainly what most of the city of London did to Aston Martin's stock. They shorted it. And in fact, some traders in 2019 were reporting a 70% uh, short um basically a benefit so the the share value dropped by 70% and therefore they made quite a significant amount of money off of Aston Martin's misery in the uh, you know in the process so Lawrence Stroll um his son Lance Stroll um races in Formula 1 for the Racing Point Formula 1 team which is owned by his father Lawrence Stroll and some investors as well and Lawrence Stroll um, has a very successful career in the fashion business. And led the successful IPO um, and took Michael Kors public, and it now operates as a very successful publicly owned uh, company. And and he also, but he has a he has a real vice for cars. He's one of the most famous Ferrari collectors in the world. He owns the Ferrari dealership uh, in Quebec and also owns the Montremblant circuit in Canada as well. And he has led an investment to invest in Aston Martin to the tune of 182 million pounds. Now, in return for that investment, they they seem to, they will be basically in line to get about 20% of the business. Um... And crucially, though, there's a couple of things that go beyond, and this is where motorsport comes into it. You might be thinking, why have I tuned into the Financial Times podcast here? You haven't? Don't worry. This is where the motorsport part comes in, because Lawrence Stroll Consortium, who have bought into the troubling business that is Aston Martin, their, their condition of their investment is that the Racing Point Formula One team, which is currently owned by Lawrence Stroll, would then become the Aston Martin Works Formula One team, the factory Formula One team. Now, this is written very, very clearly in their public announcement, saying that it was as a condition of the consortium's investment. So, in other words, the investment wasn't happening unless they could could arrange that. Now, of course, the company, the senior management of Aston Martin made it very, very clear that the business was under severe pressure from liquidity. So, a real real cash flow problem and very, very high leverage. So high borrowing, high gearing as well. So clearly, Lawrence Stroll and his investors have been able to come in to this agreement with Aston Martin and pretty much being, being able to draw the deal up how they would like it. Now, for someone like Lawrence Stroll, who's made a lot of money uh, in the fashion industry, um, <laughs> you can only see... That this investment making he's making here is very much driven towards his love of cars and also his uh, his son's career in Formula One. Because when Lance Stroll, his son, came into Formula One, he was reported to provide a significant amount of funding to the Williams Formula One team where he started his career. But Lawrence Stroll quickly realised that rather than ploughing in tens of millions of dollars into someone else's Formula One team, you may as well own the Formula One team and you get a little bit of sponsorship money in coming back the way and you have a bit more control over the operations and you can guarantee that your son will be in a drive. Now, a part of me feels slightly sorry for for Lance Stroll because he's a podium finisher in Formula One and unfortunately he carries around the stigma of having the rich dad. Now, in motorsport, it certainly makes it a lot easier to have the rich dad or, or the rich family. But the money's got to come from somewhere. So if it's not your rich dad, it's going to have to be somebody else's. So it's hard to blame landstrow for that. But he certainly is in a lucky position compared to some of his peers. So clearly this, this investment is centred around Formula One. And when you read about the Formula One aspect of this investment, which is a significant portion of the public announcement made to the London Stock Exchange, a lot of it talks about Formula One. So the agreement is made that the um Aston Martin have a title sponsorship right now with the Red Bull Formula One team, and they've confirmed that they will honor that sponsorship until the end of this 2020 season. However, at the end of that, at the end of this year, that sponsorship will finish and will transfer over to the Racing Point Formula One team. And the Racing Point Formula One team will become the Aston Martin Works Formula One team, but based uh, around Ra- Racing Point, their premises, their car, their personnel, their drivers, etc. Um now that w- what that effectively says is that they are basically telling their investors, their public investors who invest in that company, they are saying that they whatever they are spending on Formula One with Red Bull as a, effectively a, t- a sponsor. They're a, they're a major sponsor, but they're a sponsor nonetheless, that's it. And they're saying that the money that they're spending in that will be enough to run a works Formula One team. I must be honest, that seems incredibly unlikely to me. Um, it, re- it really does seem unfeasible that you could run. Now, of course, Red Bull will have a bigger Budget to run their Formula One team than someone like Racing Point will have. That's that's understandable. However, I don't see how what you're you would be spending on a title sponsorship for one team would be able to run an entire other team altogether. But perhaps I'll be wrong. Now, what this 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 commitment to Formula One that Aston Martin are now making, they're effectively increasing their commitment to Formula One, and that's all as a as I say the cre- the key fact of the matter here is that Lauren Stroll's investment is completely conditional on that happening. Whether or not that is actually the best way to take this troubled business forward. And that's very, very important. And it also relates to Aston Martin's sports car racing business. Now, Aston Martin have had a very rich history in sports car racing. They won Le Mans outright with Carroll Shelby and Roy Salvadori in the beautiful DBR1. Uh, in 1959 and they've had a number of class wins uh, in the gt class in fact arguably one of the most successful gt manufacturers in the last 20 years or so at le mans with the gorgeous dbr1 based on the new db9 at the time and then with the vantage and, and had some incredible victories all over the world in global sports cars now last year at le mans in june 2019 Aston Martin announced that they would join the brand new, freshly announced um, Le Mans hypercar Regulation. So, at Le Mans, at uh, the top class at the moment um, within that race is something called LMP One, which stands for Le Mans Prototype Number One. So, it's the top class. It's the it's if you've watched Le Mans in the past, it's when you know the Audis the Porsche's, the Toyotas, that kind of thing. At the moment it's mainly Toyota and a couple of privateers. So the ACO, um who organized the Le Mans 24-hour race have realized that 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 you know that class needs a change and hypercar is the new class that they had come up with. Now, the hypercar regulations were a lot broader in terms of what you could bring to the table, but their their idea and their theory was that co- companies that produced very high-end hypercars for the road could then bring them to Le Mans, lightly modify them and enter them into the Le Mans 24 hours and thus sort of bringing back the days of the McLaren F1 Long Tail and the um, Mercedes CLK GTR and, and Porsche 911 GT1, that kind of thing. Um, which of course was short-lived, very good but short-lived. and. Last year at Le Mans, Toyota and Aston Martin were the two manufacturers to commit to that, um, to that program, along with Jim Glickenhouse and his, um, his small handmade high-performance car business as well. So effectively three manufacturers, but one absolute giant in Toyota, one sort of mid-sized luxury car manufacturer in Aston Martin, and one very small volume hand-built Um, manufacturer with Glickenhaus as well and Aston Martin announced that they would take their revolutionary Valkyrie hypercar to race at the very top level in the hypercar class now the Aston Martin Valkyrie and this is another curious part the Aston Martin Valkyrie uh, reportedly will cost around two million pounds per vehicle they're all sold out every every uh, customer who's getting one, is known for a long time that they were getting one, and they would have to place a significant deposit to secure their place on the list. Now, the Aston Martin Valkyrie road car is tipped to be the most extreme road car ever built. It's built in conjunction with um, Red Bull Advanced Technology, with uh, aerodynamics by Adrian Newey, who's arguably the greatest um, aerodynamicist ever uh, in motorsport. And with a a naturally aspirated V12 Cosworth engine, which just sounds absolutely incredible and would sound beautiful going down the Moulinsand Strait at Le Mans. Uh, So in that public announcement um, stating that the deal with Red Bull Formula One team would be coming to an end, they did state that the relationship with Red Bull Advanced Technologies would stay in place until the Valkyrie project was delivered which is aimed to be in the second half of 2020. Now Aston Martin will know that that project cannot arrive late because if that project is delayed and delayed and delayed some of these customers may withdraw their deposits they may be doing that already and of course if you have quite a number of customers who withdraw their deposit on a two million pound car you can imagine the effect that that has on the cash flow which is already a bit of a problem for uh, the business but this week aston martin announced that they were cancelling their valkyrie hypercar project for le mans for racing so the road car will be going ahead the customers will be getting those cars provided that aston martin survives of course but the aston martin valkyrie hypercar le mans race car project has been cancelled now Aston Martin have publicly said that they are blaming um the the ACO the organizers of the Le Mans 24 hours and the World Endurance Championship and IMSA which is the uh, American uh, equivalent it's the American Sports Car Championship for lack of a better expression. And uh, at the Daytona the Rolex 24 at Daytona at the end of January the ACO and IMSA announced that they would be they would basically be um, coming together to partner up to have a common set of rules for the top class that allows a manufacturer to race at the Daytona 24 hours, at the Sebring 12 hours, and at the Le Mans 24 hours and other main races for outright honours. Now, at the moment, that opportunity does not exist because in IMSA, in the American Sports SportsCraft Championship, their top class is something called DPI, and in uh, at Le Mans and the World Endurance Championship in Europe, that is called LMP1. The two the two formulas don't match up at, at this moment in time. And it's become clear over the last couple of years with the difficulties in um, the automotive industry that the, that convergence needs to happen to allow manufacturers to get better value out of their um out of their programs now what they came up with is something called lmdh which is what it's being called at the moment and basically the idea is that you can order uh, a normal spec and prototype race car chassis you put your own engine in it and there is a small spec supplied hybrid power unit to supplement that as well and then you can design the bodywork to look like your road cars and the idea is to keep the cost down and being able to balance the performance levels as they currently do uh, in in Imza in the DPI class uh, as well. So the idea is much lower cost, um, but still high speed, dramatic, and relevant technologies. Crucially, now the initial response has been very good. We haven't heard any um firm com- um firm uh, uh, confirmed uh, <laughs> projects yet but it is expected that once the technical regulations are completely confirmed at sebring at the middle of march that we will see a lot of manufacturers committing to lmdh so aston martin have said well we were promised the hypercar regulations and now there's this lmdh so we're gonna we're gonna hit pause on the whole thing the aco came back at this very publicly saying basically calling aston martin out and saying well we all know how much Financial difficulty they're in, and uh, that this is why they're they're cancelling their project. Now, of course, both are probably half right and half wrong, uh, as well. And there's no doubt in my mind that with the level of spending that Aston Martin are going to have to be putting into Formula One, as has been confirmed, it it seems to me that there is just going to be no money left to do uh, a hypercar project at Le Mans, particularly promoting a car which they've sold sold all of the examples anyway. The good news out of the whole thing, if there were to be any good news, the good news is is that Aston Martin, while making this announcement that they were pausing the Valkyrie hypercar project, they did confirm that they would carry on with their Vantage GTE car, which is the GT car, um, which they've won Le Mans with a number of times over the last few years, um, they, that has been confirmed over to the next the next season or two as well, which is brilliant news. So we're still going to see a factory Aston Martin with factory drivers going, trying to beat the Corvettes, the Porsches and the Ferrari. That is great news because I must be honest, I thought that would have got the chop uh, as well when I saw this news about Lauren Stroll investing and, and insisting on Formula 1 involvement. So that's good news. Also, what we must consider as well, that a really good part of a lot of of manufacturers' business now is selling customer racing cars. Now, what that means is when a private race team or a private individual approaches a manufacturer like an Aston Martin or a Mercedes or a Porsche or a Ferrari and buys a competition racing car from them and takes it racing all around the world. Now, two of the most popular categories for this type of motorsport are GT3, and GT4. GT3, if, you, if you've listened to uh, recently to my Bathurst 12-hour podcast a couple of weeks ago, you can listen to that there, which gives a good introduction of what GT3 is. It's effectively a global sports car racing program. The GT4, based on the similar cars, but on a much, a much more simple, much more road car-based specification. Still a racing car, but very, very close to the road car that it's based on a lot a lot slower a little bit easier to drive and a little bit cheaper to run and certainly a lot cheaper to buy now aston martin with their previous vantage they sold 37 of the gt3 cars which might not sound a lot but bearing in mind that's about a six or seven hundred thousand euro car the gt4 car they sold 124 examples of those so and with a GT four car, it'd be about two hundred and fifty to three hundred thousand. So not insignificant amount of money. Now it's also worth considering that with the previous Aston Martin Vantage, the GT three and the GT four classes were not really into their really into their stride in terms of um participation, but they are now. And now we're on to the new version of the Vantage. Let's go back to that public announcement um that Aston Martin made, because. What they stated was that the sales of the new Vantage model have been very, very disappointing. And that's something that they need to relaunch and and revive because it has been very, very disappointing for the firm. Certainly going sports car racing is one way to prove that the car is a winning product. And that's great that they've kept on their their GTE Pro Le Mans World Sports Car um, Assault for that. But the customer racing aspect will be really, really important because, you know, a lot of their Aston Martin's racing customers who buy GT3 cars from them, you know, we had a couple of Aston Martin Vantage GT3s at Daytona. We had some at Bathurst. We'll see them at Spa. We'll see them at the Nürburgring. All these big ticket races where customers who are going privately buying the cars from Aston Martin, arranging their own commercial sponsorship or arranging gr- arranging payment from a gentleman driver to be part of the team and then going racing and then winning these races um, and then of course Aston Martin getting the marketing benefit from that as well. So customer racing is something that's very important for every manufacturer involved right now and for Aston Martin that customer racing aspect is going to be so, so important um and painting up with their partners pro drive just down the road um, in banbury just r- only 10 or 15 miles from the aston martin factory who have such a great global reputation in motorsport that's uh, going to be vital for the team going forward so i hope that sheds a little bit of light on where we are with aston martin right now i think every real motorsport fan would love to see Aston Martin flourish as a, a road car brand. They've always made beautiful road cars, the very you know emotionally driven <laughs> um, road cars that look beautiful, they sound beautiful, they're very, very fast cars. I mean, it's James Bond's car, for goodness sake. So I think everybody really wants to see Aston Martin do well. Whether this new investment coming into the company will help well, it certainly helped. It certainly bought the company time. I think without this investment, the uh, clearly the, the company was in serious trouble. So hopefully with this investment from Lawrence Stroll and his consortium, we'll allow the, the whole company to flourish. Will an, will an involvement in Formula One help that or will, it sh- or will it hoover up all its cash? It's far too early to say, I think. I really, really hope I'm wrong, but I, I think it's going to be a very cash-hungry thing to go into Formula One at this stage with the business but I, as i say i really hope i'm wrong we'd love to see aston martin come into formula one and do do really really well and in turn bring along the road car business behind so let's wait and see it's sad news we're not going to see the valkyrie at lemon in fact that's a real crying shame because everyone was really excited for that but good news is they're still going to be in gt racing we're still going to see the rumbling aston martin vantage GT with darren turner and ross gunn nicky team marco Sorensen going for to try and beat those ferraris and beat those porsches uh, and 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 the likes as as well so not all doom and gloom but hopefully this podcast has given you a little bit of background information into what's happening at aston martin and what we might see in the future If there's any any questions you have uh, about this particular topic, please do get in touch um, via uh, my Twitter, which is at Mackay Podcast, or via my website contact page, which is petermackaymotorsport.com. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to this episode and look forward to speaking to you again very soon.